Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watts podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of September 17th through the 19th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone is doing well out there. If you're listening to this the day this episode comes out, I hope you remember today, the 21st night of September. Anyway, uh, the, this week in box office world, things are a bit quiet stateside. We knew Shang-Chi would continue to own September since there are no real major releases uh, stateside until October 1st with Venom 2 Let There Be Carnage. Or maybe do Evan Hansen this weekend if you consider that a major release. Anyway, we'll check in on those in a little bit and see how it's going. That being said, the biggest story this weekend comes from overseas. I know normally we consider the international market as a bit of an afterthought compared to the domestic, but this week, let's mix things up and talk about the overseas numbers first. The biggest story, of course, is that Denis Villeneuve's space epic Dune, the adaptation of Frank Herbert's legendary science fiction novel, opened overseas last week in 24 different markets after premiering at the Venice Film Festival. Industry predictions had forecast maybe a 20 million launch. Uh, pandemic concerns aside, there was also some reservation that the film would be kind of more cerebral and not as appealing to general audiences, even though it would be visually stunning. Uh, this was the case with a similar cult hit uh, by, uh, by Villanueva, Blade Runner 2049, that ended up being a financial disappointment. Sir, Dune has positive reviews from critics at about 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, but it's only about 68 of them so far. So, um, is that enough? Well, it turns out that was the case, uh, at least for the European market. In those 24 markets, Dune opened to $36.8 million total, almost doubling the initial predictions. Top markets so far are Russia at about $7.6 million, uh, France at $7.5 million, and then Germany at $5.2 million. As a point of comparison, it's currently 4% ahead of similarly heady sci-fi Tenet uh, by 4%, and ahead of Black Widow by 33%, and then 52% ahead of the aforementioned Blade Runner 2049 in the same markets. Interestingly, it's also ahead of Shang-Chi by about 58% in these markets, which is kind of insane. Now, getting into some country-specific information, uh, courtesy of user Tutuna134 on the box office subreddit, we have the first day numbers for various films over the pandemic in France. Uh, on its opening day, Dune, with about 70% of the population being vaccinated and requiring a vaccine pass to be able to enter theaters, uh, it sold about 181,000 tickets. Uh, this is total admissions, not dollars. Uh, Black Widow, back when you did not need a vaccine pass, only sold about $184,000, so, or tickets total. So you know, the fact that there were similar numbers, but one had a vaccine pass and one didn't, kind of is like a, a bit of a big deal. Now, it's not the biggest first day tickets for France this summer. Uh, there were local films, OS117 and Camelot, uh, selling uh, 210,000 and 423,000 tickets, respectively. Um, and then F9 also opened to 468,000 tickets, though that was on Bastille Day, which is a national holiday. Still, for a non-franchise film, Dune's not doing particularly badly, um, and apparently it also did twice of what Shang-Chi did uh, for its first day numbers. Um, also, about of those, a third of those 181,000 tickets, about 65,000 total, uh, were actually from pre-sales. Now, also in France, from Friday to Saturday, uh, you know, day-to-day drops, you know, the numbers that a, a film will drop, you know, from one from one day to the next, it actually increased uh, from one day to the next with a 108% increase in the, in total admissions from Friday to Saturday. Uh, most markets had a bit of a smaller increase, maybe 30 to 50%, but still, um, the fact that there were increases were, were, is, a, is a good sign. Uh, Russia, from Thursday, actually, Thursday to Friday, saw a 30 to 50% increase, uh, uh, sorry, Russia saw a, a increase of going from about a 1.5 
1.5 million on Thursday to 2 million on Friday, which again is not does not usually happen from Thursday to Friday, uh, and is an indication of strong word of mouth. Uh, in Russia, currently Dune is neck and neck with it chapter two for the largest September opening ever, while still being at about 50% capacity for theaters. In Italy, Dune ended up having the largest four-day opening for a Hollywood film post-pandemic, uh, passing Black Widow. And then officially, it's the best opening weekend, Friday through, Saturday, through Sunday in France as well. Outside of Europe, it also apparently set a record opening in Taiwan for post-pandemic films and is in top five openings post-pandemic for Hong Kong. So... What does this all mean? Is Dune guaranteed to be a hit here in the States? Well, while these numbers are certainly encouraging, they are by no means slam dunk. Uh, France, after all, is the country where we got the fifth element from, which is a bit of another weird sci-fi film. Um, now, looking at Villanueva's most recent horror film prior to this, Blade Runner 2049, you see that once you exclude Chinese numbers, uh, the box office grows from the five largest European countries, France, Germany, Italy, Russia, and the UK, made up about 26% or so of the total growth for the film worldwide. In comparison, Captain Marvel, which is I'm going to use as a stand-in for a typical MCU film, uh, ended up only having 13% of its revenue come from the same countries. Now, one key difference here is that Europe, which presumably is one of the stronger markets uh, for the film, uh, is getting the film about a month ahead of its domestic U.S. release. Uh, 2049 only had about two days difference from the France release to the U.S. release. Uh, this coming weekend, Dune is going to come out in the Middle East, which has a lot of premium formats like IMAX, um, and then after about a month or so, you know, the UK and Korea will get the film a few days ahead of the US release on the 20th um, to, you know, I th presumably to make way for Bond coming out uh, on the uh, at the end of the month and then into, uh, into, into October. Um, you know, it comes out in the US on October 22nd and in addition, we'll have a day and date release in China on the 22nd as well, which it's been a while since we had a film release on the same day in both countries. Um, I suspect the fact that Legendary, the studio producing Dune, it being partially owned by the Chinese company Wanda, uh, has a part to play in that. Um, the only other major region I think that's really getting a, a serious delay would be Australia with a December 2nd release date due to the pandemic rollout, pandemic situation over there. Uh, the hope I believe that Warner Brothers has is that by releasing the film in countries that would have a strong reception, so France, Russia, most of Europe, um, you know, you can build up the good word of mouth for a month, build up all the hype uh, before the U.S. release to try to get a good opening weekend number there. Um, in addition, you know, the fact that they're doing it, you know, uh, the international first and then the U.S. when it would come out day and date on HBO Max uh, means that you know the impact of privacy abroad uh, should be mitigated at least somewhat. Um, you know, that, and the fact that the film is supposed to be best received on uh, a big screen, um, you know, probably is part of that. Now, that, it's, that, that said, though, uh, you know, apparently it's getting a 3D release in China, and apparently if a film comes out in 3D in China, 2D offerings are not going to be widely available. So we'll see uh, if netizens on China who are threatening uh, to, you know, pirate it over not having much 2D releases um, will end up, uh, you know, being a significant portion of the population over there. Uh, overall, discussion online suggests that you know with these good first weekend numbers, uh, we should see maybe about three hundred million dollars worldwide, uh, depending on what on how things go with China. In any case, uh, we'll come back to talk about international films a bit later again. Uh, but let's go back to the U.S. domestic numbers for this weekend. 
in first place, uh, sitting on top of its September throne, uh, Shang-Chi continues to hold onto the number one spot in its third weekend with a 38% drop to $21.6 million uh, in 4,070 theaters. That's a per theater average of $5,325 and a running total of $176.8 million domestically. That pushes it past F9 and A Quiet Place 2 for the second highest domestic total of the year, a mere $7 million or so behind Black Widow. Again, this beat expectations as expected drops were probably about 50% for this weekend. Uh, the 38% drop, or more precisely 37.5%, is actually the best third weekend drop of the MCU. Um, Iron Man 1 is the next best at 37.8, and Winter Soldier had 38 even. Uh, for reference, Black Widow had a 55% drop in its third weekend. And also, its date totals to date puts it at about 2.35x multiplier, again, only after its third weekend, uh, which is already beating out Black Widow's 11th week multiplier of 2.28x, uh, which should be capping out pretty soon. Now, this is partly explained not only through the quality and to premium access numbers, but according to one analytics firm, uh, strong online engagement numbers. While Black Widow had you know more than twice as much engagement on opening day when the film came out, after about three days or so, Shang-Chi began outpacing Black Black Widow in terms of overall engagement over the long day and over subsequent days, which kind of translate to this higher, you know, sustained success for the film so far. Internationally, Sanxi made another $20 million or so this past weekend for a running total overseas of $143.7 million, or about $320.6 million worldwide. As of recording, we do not yet have a date of a potential China release uh, this coming weekend, which seems to indicate, I, I think, that we're not going to get one at all over there. Uh, without that, I think $400 million is probably the ceiling of what Sanxi ends up making worldwide at this point. Now, the question for Shang-Chi will be whether or not it is able to hold onto its number one spot for four weekends in a row. For the entirety of 2021, no film has held onto the number one spot for more than three weekends in a row. Uh, if you go back to the start of the pandemic, Tenet technically did so uh, for five weekends in a row, but that's only really because nothing else was coming out. Technically, Crude's A New Age also topped the box office for five weeks, but that was not consecutively. There was a period of three weeks when the first came out and another uh, two weeks uh, in 2021. So it's actually pretty rare for a film to do more than three weeks in a row at top of the box office. Uh, the most recent one, aside from Tenet, uh, is Black Panther uh, in 2018 with five consecutive weekends from its opening weekend. Uh, before that, we had a freak year in 2015 uh, with Star Wars The Force Awakens, Furious 7, Mockingjay Part 2, and The Martian all getting four weekends in a row. Um, but still, aside from that, it's a generally pretty difficult proposition. The forecast total for Dear Evan Hansen coming out this weekend is about 6 to $15 million according to box office Close. Let's say let's be generous and give them the high end of that, fifteen million dollars. This gives Shang-Chi, uh, you know, if it were to, whatever it drops this coming weekend, it can only drop at most twenty-eight uh, percent in order to you know stay ahead of that fifteen million dollar for Dear Evan Hansen. Now, if in the meantime, Dear Evan Hansen perform, performs only to say in the Heights, right, another musical that came out earlier this year. Um, you know, In the Heights did have to contend with uh, HBO Max um, and also a smaller fan base than Dear Evan Hansen did kind of pre-existing. Dear Evan Hansen soundtrack is a lot more popular than the In the Heights soundtrack. Um, In the Heights was also universally acclaimed by critics, whereas the critical response to uh, to Dear Evan Hansen, about you know, uh, 40-something-ish percent on Rotten Tomatoes, 
not super great, right? And if, so, you know, assuming those things cancel out and, and maybe puts it down a little bit, you know, uh, about where in the heights is, that puts it about $11.5 million or for what Black Widow would need to beat, uh, a 45% drop. Now, Black Widow's fourth weekend drop was 44%. So given Sanxi has been outpacing Sanxi, uh, Black Widow in terms of week-to-week drops, um, that should be doable, um, again, if Dear Evan Hansen matches, is around what uh, In the Heights ends up making. So anyway, back to this weekend, uh, Disney captures both the number one and number two spot with Free Guy making $5 million in 3,288 theaters in its sixth weekend. That's a stunning 10% drop, uh, sub 10% drop actually, and a per theater average of $1,547, running total domestically of $108.4 million. Now between Shang-Chi, Free Guy, and uh, number seven, the Jungle Cruise is 2 million. That's about 60% of the total domestic box office belonging to Disney this weekend, which is pretty absurd. I don't remember the last time a film was this dominant uh, at the box office. Um, well, I guess maybe Avengers Endgame, but even then, I'm not entirely sure. I'd have to double check. Anyway, internationally, Free Guy has made about $189.7 million and sits just shy of the $300 million worldwide mark. Now, third place for this weekend goes to Warner Brothers' new Clint Eastwood film, Cry Macho, opening to a measly $4.4 million in 3,967 theaters. That's a per theater average of $1,116. It may not be the worst opening Warner has had all year, but it's certainly close to it. And it's mind-boggling with how many theaters it got released in. If it had released in, you know, a mere, what, uh, 24 more, th- or, you know, 34 more theaters, um, over 4,000, it would have ended up being the worst performing opening uh for a uh, for a film over 4,000 theaters, uh, which currently belongs to Nut Job 2. Um, I bet you didn't even know that Nut Job 2 existed. Um, anyway, I'm sure the 91-year-old Clint Eastwood had a say in how many theaters it came out with, but you know the fact that the audience for Clint Eastwood films are skew older and that demographic generally isn't coming out to theaters as much at the moment um, probably had a part to do in that. You know, uh, 79% of goers for the film were over 35 years old, 55% were above 55 years old, and of course, you know, the HBO Max day and date release, you know, played into this, you know, performance as well, though apparently only 693,000 households bothered to tune in this weekend, according to Samba TV, which is not a great number. Uh, Cry Macho made less than $250,000 abroad, so lifetime total is still sub $5 million. Um, I believe the budget for Cry Macho was about $33 million or so, uh, if my if my sources are correct. Uh, so yeah, definitely not going to be a profitable film, I think, at this point. Now, fourth place goes to Candyman in its fourth weekend, making $3.5 million in 2,820 theaters, a 26% drop at $12.50 per theater average. Uh, running domestic total is $53.4 million, uh, crossing that $50 million mark with another 14.8 abroad, bringing it to $68.2 million at lifetime. Now, rounding out the top five is Malignant in its second weekend, again with HBO Max Day and Date release, dropping 50% to $2.7 million in 3,501 theaters, per theater average of $776, domestic total $9.8 million. Another uh, $14.8 million abroad, so this one's definitely doing well overseas, um, has a running total of $24.6 million to date, still well below the surprisingly high for a horror film budget of $40 million. Now, outside the top five, we have Cop Shop at number six, uh, making $2.3 million in 3,005 theaters. Again, I still have no idea what that one's about. Um, in number 10, we have the limited release of Eyes of Tammy Faye, starring Andrew Garfield from Searchlight, making $652,000 in 450 theaters, per theater average of $1,450. That's the third highest per theater average this weekend, behind Shang-Chi, and 
Oddly enough, the 1996 Ghost in the Cell movie, uh, which was uh, re-released in 124 theaters and made $220,000 for a per theater average of $1,777. Uh, we also had in the release uh, Blue Bayou from uh, Focus Features about Korean adoptees in Louisiana, uh, making $329,000 in 477 theaters per theater average of, 1, 000, of $691. So $691. Overall, total box office dipped below the $50 million mark for the first time in a while, only $47.7 million total. Again, Disney owning 68% of that. Uh, the last weekend of this low was, I believe, June 18th this year, when it was like $43 million or something. Now, compared to last year, it was still ahead you know, of that $11 million total, but that was in the height of the pandemic. Um, compared to 2019, we were seeing about $123 million two years ago. So definitely a wise way to go back to, before back to normalcy. Slump September indeed, if not for Shang-Chi. As mentioned already, Dear Evan Hansen is the next big release coming out this weekend. And already, again, pretty bad reviews, 40% on Rotten Tomatoes, 6 to $15 million forecast from Box Office Pros. Um, we also see the eyes of Tammy Faye opening wide this coming weekend. Now, for films clo that close this weekend, uh, we have Cruella ending its run at uh, $86.1 million, officially ending its domestic run at a 4.01x multiplier. Now back to international news, uh, Paw Patrol briefly topped actually topped $100 million with a running total of $103.2 million, including opening it in Australia this weekend. And moving to China, with the Mid-Autumn Festival underway, uh, Chinese residents got to uh, take work on Saturday in order to have Monday through and Tuesday off. Um, we saw Free Guy get dethroned after three weekends at the top of the charts. Local uh, disaster film uh, Cloudy Mountain made $19.1 million US over its opening weekend. Uh, Free Guy came in second at $4.8 million uh, to run up to $85.1 million there with about one more week left in its run. Uh, third place was local drama All About My Mother, making $4.7 million so far on opening day or opening day on Sunday. Um, and then Raising Fury comes in fourth with $4.5 million for the weekend, a running total of $194 million. And then fifth place is To Be With You, uh, a romantic dramedy, making $2.6 million after opening on Sunday. Now, numbers aside, the big news out of China is we got confirmation for Western release dates. Uh, we already talked about Dune and getting the October 22nd day and date release as here in the States. It'll be followed up the week after with the 29th uh, release of the, the uh, October 29th release of uh, James Bond, No Time to Die. And while there's no word for Shang-Chi yet, uh, in Hong Kong, The Eternals has a November 5th date penciled in. Uh, not a China date, and Shang-Chi did release in China, but still something to keep an eye on, uh, given Chloe Zhao's controversy over in China. Now, as far as other headlines, there's a fair bit of streaming and studio news to go over. First, some Disney stuff. Uh, Disney CEO Bob Chapek at a Goldman Sachs conference confirmed that Shang-Chi will be coming to Disney Plus November 12th, uh, which they're designating as Disney Plus Day. Now, if you're counting the days, that's actually 70 days from its initial release. Uh, what happened to the 45-day theatrical window? Well, that 45-day window was from Shang-Chi's release date uh, will be about mid-October, October 18th or so. And that's when the film becomes available not on Disney Plus, but on other VOD services such as iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, etc. Presumably, the November 12th date, uh, which is, again, 70 days away, is when it'll be free to subscribers on Disney+. Plus. Uh, in addition to Shang-Chi, uh, Jungle Cruise will come to Disney+, Plus on that day as well, um, as well as the Disney+, Plus original series Home Sweet Home Alone, a number of sorts from the Walt Disney Animated Studio and Pixar, Season 2 of The World According to Jeff Goldblum on National Geographic, a special about Boba Fett, and many much more, including like a Simpsons sort as well. Uh, these would all, they will also have Disney+, Plus launching in South Korea, 
and Taiwan on that day, and later, uh, four days later, in the 16th, coming out in Hong Kong. Now, Disney also warned that subscriber growth will likely slow in Q3. For anyone who listens to this podcast for financial advice, this is not a financial advice, just news about what Disney is forecasting. I don't know who you are, but uh, let me know if you're out there. Um, we also know that they are currently doing, Bob Tappic also noted they are doing a quote-unquote reset of their arrangements with talent deals, both currently existing and future. Um, this is in light of the Black Widow lawsuit, though he obviously did not mention the lawsuit by name. Um, while ultimately not firm news or any specific details, it does so that even though the lawsuit is ultimately not successful for, for Scarlett Johansson, it will have had the long-term effect of making Disney uh, hopefully, you know, restructuring their deals to be more fair, again, hopefully. Um, anyway, moving to HBO Max. Uh, after HBO got dropped from Amazon Prime, um, apparently HBO Max is now offering a limited time promo for new and returning customers. They get six months of HBO Max at a $749 price point as opposed to the typical $1499 price. Note that this is the ad-free tier, which does include day-and-date releases for the rest of the year. Uh, the deal ends September 26th. Apparently, you can cancel your current plan if you have one and resub to get the new price for six months. Remains to be seen if this surge of new subscriptions has an impact on the October releases. Uh, Many Saints of New York, The Sopranos pre- uh, prequel, and Dune, of course. And then Paramount certainly has had a time of it. Uh, after the news of Jim Giannopoulos leaving the company last week, uh, communications chair Chris Pertrican is also planning on leaving as well. He had followed Jim over from 20th Century Fox after the Disney acquisition. Uh, it's TBD of other 20th Century former execs who followed Giannopoulos. Uh, Emma Watts, president of the Motion Picture Group, Chris Aronson, the president of Domestic Distribution, and Mark Weinstock, distribution of, president of Worldwide Distribution, will end up also leaving the company as well. Now, obviously, part of the reason he left was because of the focus on streaming, and in order to support that, Paramount and Showtime are being bundled for $10 total uh, for the current ad-supported version, or $13 for the ad-free version. Uh, this would be about $16 or $21, respectively, separately. Um, and also, to try and support this endeavor, they're also going to be offering Paranormal Activity Reboot, uh, Paranormal Activity Next Kin, uh, direct to streaming this coming October, moving it up from a March 22nd theatrical release. Um, I don't no, I didn't know this film was happening. The trailer doesn't look super good, and but then again, what do I know? Uh, I never was a big paranormal activity fan in the first place, so um, definitely, this seems though that they're definitely focusing, uh, you know, making good into promise to focus more on uh, streaming. And then finally, while not direct news per se, there was a super interesting interview with the head of Sony Pictures, uh, Tony Vince Vinci. Kara, uh, who suggested that that we have seen the peak of TV and film as having you know already passed. Um, not to say that film and TV are dead, but you know not, and that there's not going to be any great content coming out. It's just that you know that because of the size of the industry and and kind of the demand that you know, especially competing against video games and other forms of entertainment, that you know the market just isn't there to support the number of studios there are currently. And he's seeing consolidation in the industry future, be it you know you know maybe the the couple of big players are acquired um, or maybe merging in the next couple five to ten years. Paramount definitely seems to be making a case for themselves in this regard. And, you know, this also talks that Lionsgate looks like a juicy target as well. Uh, discussion online suggests, again, video games being a step that streamers might need to take to stay relevant, um, as it ev- evidenced by Netflix, for example, getting into that space. And, of course, Sony being Sony with their PS5, which seems to be well-positioned as well. 
Anyway, that's all the news for this weekend. Uh, you know, sort of, sort of episode this week. Um, but you know, that's all for this episode. Uh, suit, me, suit me ideas for what else I can cover via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at zealand.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Find us on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review or at the very least tell a friend that any of that helps. If you're feeling extra generous, consider supporting us on Patreon, which lets me make not only this show, but all the other podcasts I work on. Links to all of that in our show notes. Numbers used in the show come from dnumbers.com. Into and out to music from Kevin MacLeod at incompetech.filmmusic.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch. And remember, our watch goes on. Yeah.